Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, would you welcome Jeremy or Jeremy M. or Jeremy Micah Shelley, whichever one you voted for. I just want to say I remember all of your faces. I know who voted. Okay. Um, well, uh, it's good to be with you, Quest. Um, I am, I'm excited to be here. We've been in this series called Fearless Life, and uh, this has been a, it's been a, a good series. I'm, I've been excited about it. I've been excited about it since we started talking about it as a, a creative team a couple of uh, months ago, and, and um, I want to start off by saying, I think that this uh, opportunity that we have to live a fearless life in the name of Jesus is something that it's, it's important for us, but it's also something that we don't just get right. Like we hear truth and then all of a sudden it's just settled within us and we can move on through our lives with, without ever having any doubts or fears or anything like that. This is, this is something I know, especially for me, uh, that, that I have to come back to on a regular basis. Where I have to, to go back to the, the book of 1st John, or I have to, um, get back on my knees and, and remind myself what God thinks about me and what I think about God. And, and so, um, I want to encourage you from the outset today that, um, that this is not just a one and done thing. This is something that, that we need to continually revisit. Where, where we are, where we are in position with God. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, leading a time of worship for our students at Fusion, and um, as we're worshiping, I felt the Holy Spirit just impressing upon my spirit uh, just a, a sense of what was going on among our students, and and um, I felt that I heard the Holy Spirit say to me that there are students around you right now that you're worshiping with who don't trust that they can come to the throne of God and be loved by me, or be accepted by me, and and I it, it really it stirred in me. It was it was almost painful to hear that, and so I wanted to take a moment at that moment and um, and pray for our students that that they would know and understand that regardless of what they've uh, done in their life, what they believe about themselves, what sin they've committed, that they have a free access to the throne of God. And um, since that night, I've, I've kind of held on to that feeling, to, to that sense of, you know, there's probably a lot of fear in people's lives about how they have, um, you know, how, how they can approach God. And, and I, as I was uh, dealing with that, uh, I started to deal with it personally, and I realized there are a lot of spaces deep in my heart where I don't trust that God loves me. Because of the sin that I commit, because of the things that I think, because of, uh, you know, whatever is there, the lies that I believe, that if God knew my heart, that he wouldn't accept me. And um, I found myself in a place where I was really broken. And um, a, a friend of mine wrote a poem 
that I, as I read through it, I was like, this is almost exactly what I was thinking. And so I, I want to read this uh, for you guys today, and I want to see if, if it resonates with you in, in any way. If, if, if you've ever been in that place where, where you feel like, if, if God only knew who I really am, which, by the way, he does, but, but we think, if God only knew who I really am, then he wouldn't want me. Or he would take those things from my life that I really love if I'm exposed. And so uh, let, me, let me read this to you. This is um, written by, by Braden Dissinger. Braden is right over here. So um, this is really powerful. Twinged and binged. Kind of like it when I'm unhinged. So many times you've cringed when I've kept you out on the fringe. A flourishing meologian, my selfish patterns are showing. My selfish thoughts keep flowing. So far from you, I keep going. Selfie, hashtag, post. It's clear that I love me the most. My pride is busting to boast. Calling, party of one, I'm the host. Me, me, meology. No, there's no apology. Me, myself, and I, narcissism is my high. Tearing at me inside, deepest, darkest of night. Can anyone give me sight? Try to move me to the light. My thoughts are under a microscope. I can't seem to stay afloat. Been completely emptied of my hope. Seems like I'm at the end of my rope. This sick and twisted phrenology, ordering up a lobotomy, discours my mind of my meology. I owe you an apology. Me, me, meology. Broke, broke theology. Me, myself, and I, narcissism's my high. You want me to approach your throne? Nah, it's just me alone. This is my home. This is all I own. You will take it all away. No, not today. No way. I can't give you what I've got. So here I stay, covered up, not exposed. Me, me, meology. It's all on me. You know, I wonder how often we might get to a place like that. Where we think if someone finds out who we really are, if God finds out who we really are, that all that we have, all that we trust, all that we believe in will be taken away from us. So I, I want to expose that today. I, I, want to, I want us to explore how we can be assured that God loves us and that we are truly a part of his family. Because here, here's the premise that I'm working with today. I believe that most of us in the room have something in our lives that causes us to question whether or not God really loves us. Maybe it's something that we've done, or maybe it's something that's happening to us. But whatever it is, we wonder, do you really care, God? Do you really love me? Do you want me? Now, here's the deal. See, I, 
I want this church to, to explode, to, to break out, to blow up in, in the ministry that it's doing to the world around us, to the community around us, to the kingdom that's outside of us. And, 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 and I, I think, I think that for us to do that, we have to be fearless. We have to live free lives knowing that God loves us. Because here's the reality. We'll never be able to walk or live a fearless life if we don't know where we stand with God. If we don't truly believe and understand that he loves us. Now, and I want to be clear today. I want to be really clear. You may be sitting here and you may not at all be questioning whether or not God loves you. But tomorrow, something new may come into your life that causes that doubt, that creates it. And so I I think what we're going to talk about today is probably for all of us. It's probably for all of us. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to spend some time reading in uh, the, this letter, 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And, uh, and I think this is a great place for us to, to talk about this, to understand where our love for the Father is. And, and, um, and I want to I just talk, before we dive into that, just real quickly, uh, a, a friend of, he's not really a friend of mine, but I know him, and I've heard him talk about this. And, and he, he, he explores the love of God for us and he likens it to the love of a father. And he says it this way. He says, a good father, a good father is not a person who tells his children before he goes to work, hey, I'm going to be home from work. I can't wait to see you. Or maybe I don't want to see you. Right, that's not a good father. Right, no? It's okay, yeah, I laugh. That's trash. We don't want that in our lives. Um, a good father doesn't leave on a business trip and like, you know, going off someplace else. And he says to his kids, he looks to him and he says, Hey, I can't wait to get home. I'm going to bring you gifts. It's going to be great. Or, you know, I may not come home. I may just live with my other family that I love more than you. No, that's not a good father. A good father, he lets his kids know where they stand with him. He lets them know that he loves them, that they can be assured of that. And and, and so that's how God is with us. That's what he does with us, that we have assurance that as children of God, that he loves us, and we can't lose that. And and, and it's proved through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So today we're going to talk about how John shows us that we can be assured of our salvation through Jesus. So... um, Turn with me, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be in verses uh, 15 and 16 primarily. The words are on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but if you do, mark them up, underline. I, I love it when people write in their Bibles. It's such a good thing. I mean, as long as you're not doing graffiti in the Bibles, but um, whatever. Okay, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Okay, now you might be saying, what, Jeremy? (laughs) How does this get to that? Well, let me show you. I, I, I think that, that um, uh, initially some people might say there seem to be some contradictions in what you're saying and, and what's happening there. Um, but I, I want to I just start off, first of all, by saying this letter that John wrote uh, is, is written to a specific group of people addressing a specific issue that was happening within his church. And namely, that was a heretical doctrine that was being taught by a faction of individuals. 
And the heresy is centered around the fact that Jesus was not God. That he was not God in flesh. That, that he's either this human who had divine insight and taught it, or that he was not fully human. He was like this um, celestial being that came to earth that wasn't really a human, and he taught us. So there's this, there's this heresy that's going on, and, and John is, is trying to, to correct that. He's reestablishing an understanding of Jesus as Messiah that came in flesh to the world. And this is important to remember. Because as we read this text, you know, we might say that Pastor John, as he's reading it, or writing this, um, uh, he, he, he's saying that... Um, Christians should stave themselves off from the rest of the world and hunker down and create this whole bunkered life, right? That's kind of what that sounds like. But we have to remember, we have to remember that the author of this text, 1 John, is also the author of the Gospel of John. Which when we read the Gospel of John, we read some of the, some things that, that are in clear, seemingly clear contradiction to this. Namely, uh, let's see, Gospel of John, chapter 1. If you're in your Bibles, it's the, it's the Fourth Testament, um, or the Fourth, not the Fourth Testament. Don't you have four? I've, I've got four. Fourth book in the New Testament. Like, I've gone beyond Mormons, you know, like, you're not even good enough. <laughs> Joseph Smith ain't got nothing on me. Uh, fourth Fourth book in the New Testament, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Words are on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, that means Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That it sounds so much like First John right there, right? I mean, it's, it's, he, I mean, this is the same man that wrote this, so of course we're going to find a lot of the same stuff. Well, if we skip down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's another verse from John's Gospel, a verse that I'm pretty sure that most everyone in here knows, probably memorized, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, let me say that again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. These sound like two totally opposite texts, right? So how do we reconcile 1 John chapter 2 and the Gospel of John together. Well, I, I think we need to understand some of what um, John is talking about in uh, 1 John. 
Let's talk a little bit about the world and the things of the world. Um, these things that were, were at some point by the heretics saying that they were inherently bad, that they were inherently evil, and there's no way that uh, a Messiah could be exposed to those things or whatever. But we have to remember, remember, what God created, God said was good. And when he created man, he said man was what? Who, who knows? Very good. That's exactly right. Jesus, Son of God, God Himself, became a man and lived among humankind. And He did the same kinds of things that man and woman did. In fact, in fact, Jesus was accused of a couple of things when He was living on this planet. Does anybody remember what He was accused of being? Anybody know? A drunkard and a glutton. Do you guys remember that? He's accused of being a drunkard or glutton. Now, I want to clear something up. First of all, Jesus was not a drunkard. He was not a glutton. Those were, those were slanderous things said about Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus lived with the people. He ate and drank with the people. He enjoyed the people and he enjoyed living with them so much so the people might say, look at him. Clearly, he's a sinner. Clearly, he's a drunkard. Clearly, he's a glutton. Right? So it doesn't seem like John would ever tell us that we can't live at least like Jesus. What he's actually doing here is he's commenting on what the heretics were saying and how they were splitting his church. They were saying, because Jesus wasn't really God. Or, some others were saying, because Jesus wasn't really a man, he could either be with the Christian or the, the people there and do those things because, you know, he's not God, so he wouldn't do those things. Or, well, he's not really fully man, so, you know, it's okay for him. So John's correcting this teaching, and what he's actually doing in this letter is he's putting forth an understanding for the church uh, about idolatry and idol worship. This is really what he wants to, to talk about. And, I, and I, just a little side note here. This heretical view is still really common within the contemporary church. We see it all over the place. And, and if you just think about it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. We do have that everywhere. Like th- this idea that, that anything of the flesh or anything of the world is bad. And so Christians need to, you know, like do their own thing that is separate from the world, prote- protected from the world, boundaries that, that, that won't let the evil in. I mean, just think about it. How did we come up with a Christian music drama, a, 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 lost the word genre thank you actually that was just a test i wanted to see if you were listening to me and you are thank good job Woo. how do we come up with a christian movie genre <laughs> got it right right like why 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 are we are we assuming now hold on I want to say those things aren't necessarily bad that's that's not what i'm saying what is bad is when we say we can't participate in anything of the world we can't do anything with them so we got to create our create our own so that we can we can just be in here in this little bubble by ourselves in quest I, i'm going to challenge you here i'm going to challenge you here and i i might make some enemies that's and okay fine if i do send your emails to ross <laughs> at quest <laughs> 
at Ross at GoToQuest.org. No, 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 someone's. Um, you set the filters on your email so they go straight to junk mail. Um, no, at Quest, though, we are always going to say that we want to be in relationship with the world outside of the walls of this church. We do not want to create some kind of a special bubble that protects us from the world. Because when we do that, what we effectively do is we cut off relationships with the people outside of our church walls. And then we completely destroy the relationships that are designed so that we can share the light of Christ, the truth of Christ, the gospel of Christ with those people who need it the most. We need to be in the world. We are not of the world, but we need to be in the world. We got to have those relationships. We got to participate in it. Here's what John is ultimately saying to us. He's saying, you have to discover what you're worshiping more. Is it the world or is it God? After all, we are called by Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I put emphasis there because those were the hated ones. But they were called to go into Samaria to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them and then to the ends of the earth. I, I want to say this. I, I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to say it because I, I think this is so critical. When we build a life that is structured around fear of the evil outside getting into it, what we're doing is we're effectively saying we don't trust in what Jesus has already done on the cross. Because by his death and resurrection, he has said, you are already victors over the evil one in my name. We don't have to fear evil. We don't have to fear it. In Jesus Christ, we get to go fearlessly into those dark places and bring light to it. That's what we're called to. You know, I, I think this is interesting because, um, too, there's this subtle nuance that the enemy wants to do in our lives. Whenever we're so afraid of what's going on outside, and sometimes when we become afraid of it, what we do is we, we kind of we, we create these boundaries that protect our, ourselves and our children from the, the evil out there. And, 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 then, and ultimately what we do is we're, we're saying, God, I, I don't trust you to protect me to keep me secure, to keep my children secure. And ultimately, what we do is we begin to worship our control over the stuff in our lives, which is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy knows that we are a threat when we come in the name of Jesus to those dark places. So we've got to go. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I, that, um, ultimately, what John is getting to, John 2, 15 and 16, what, he, what he's saying is, is that if you love the world more 
than you love God, then you're not a Christian. You've got some issues in your life where, where you are placing other things above the Father, above God, and you need to figure that out. And this is where I want to I be really clear because John is clear, Christ is clear, that there's always room for forgiveness. Whenever we find in our lives some kind of idol worship or some kind of, you know, just like wrong prioritization of where things are, there's always room for forgiveness. Wherever we see sin or wherever it's exposed we can confess it we can repent of it and we can turn to Jesus in it so let's talk about this how do we know if we love God more than than we love the world and and John he he smartly identifies three ways that we can discern this verse 16 of of chapter 2 says this for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life if, if, if these are all things that are not from the Father, but from the world. So these are the, these are three things that we need to, to think about. Desire of flesh, desire of the eyes, and pride of life. Let's break these down. First, we're going to start with desire of flesh. This is fun. Uh, I hope you're ready to be uncomfortable. Okay, so, um, this is, this is a reference to, to many, many different things, but it's all about this gluttonous attitude towards like food or sex or comfort or drink or something else. This idea that you just have to have it, that, that your desire for it is insatiable, right? And, and, and when it becomes that way, it begins to control you and, and you worship it. And I think this is such a great moment to see the, the, the opposite side of that. This is such a great moment when you, when, you, when you see how the fruit of the Spirit in Scripture, Galatians 5, it shows how idolatry really, really works. See, you're either worshiping God and you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, what I want to focus on today. Or... You're demonstrating that you're worshiping something other than God and the fruit of the Spirit isn't really present or visible in the way that you act. You're allowing something other than the Holy Spirit, something other than God to control you. And if that's something that you're dealing with, then ultimately what it's an indication of is that you're not worshiping the Father more than you're worshiping something else. Here's some things to think about, some questions to maybe ask yourself. And these are relatively specific, so they may not apply to everyone in here, but it's a good start. It might get your brain percolating on, on oh, okay, well, maybe I should think about that. So um, here's, a, here's a question. Do, do you have um, desire of the flesh? Are you the kind of person that when you go to the bar to grab a couple drinks, you can, you can um, you know, just do with two, or do you have to get more? Do you have to chase that buzz? Do you have to get a little bit um, wobbly in order to feel like you can have a conversation with people and be more like yourself? Right? What about this? Can you, can you see something sensual or sexual on TV or somewhere else and then not fantasize about it while you either masturbate or have sex with your spouse? It's got really quiet here. Like, what? Did he say that? It's church, y'all. We're talking about it. There's another one. I'm doing that. Like, humor kind of breaks the ice in that kind of a moment. Like, I'm not really comfortable either. So it's, you know, like, we're 
we're just, this is good. Okay, uh, here's another one. Do, can, you, can, you, can you put down your phone at dinner with your family and not focus on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to see if someone's going to comment or like a post that you made earlier that day? Or are you so addicted to that feeling of, wow, people are following me, they're, they're, they're liking what I said, ah, you know. That's an out-of-control thing. Another one. Can you get off the couch after an hour of watching a show on Netflix, or do you have to sit there and binge the whole season? Some of you, the whole series. Right? When something else dictates your behavior, where you obey it, More than God, that's worldliness. That's putting something else on the throne of God in your life. Number two, okay, desire of the eyes. Uh, This seems uh, a lot the same of desire of the flesh, but it's different in this. that This is about a covetous feeling. When you see something that you want so badly, and unless you have it, you can't be happy in life. Or, or... You see someone else that has it and you can't be happy for them that they have it. Like, oh, I can't believe they get that. Or something that you see that you want so badly, it changes the way that you act, the things that you do so that you can, you'll do anything to get it. Like maybe go into debt in, in order to, to have it, which then prohibits your generosity, the way that you tithe or give to church, missionaries, ultimately living like Jesus did, right? So, so here in suburbia, I think this one in particular is a little bit um, more difficult for us. I mean, I know the lights aren't really up in the room, but um, I, I saw most every one of you when you walked in the room, and you're all, like, nice and clean and sparkly, and you, some of you, most of you smell good, right? Like, that, and, and, and so, like, when we see people like that, and, and they're wearing something really nice or a little bit of mm-hmm, bling or whatever, and we think, oh, man, whoo. I wish I could have that. Like I would, people would like me better if I was wearing that shirt or if, if I looked like that when I was, you know, whatever. That's what we do, right? And then we, we kind of get to this um, covetous, envious type of, of thing. Or, or, you know, we go out into the parking lot as you leave and you see someone pulling out in their, you know, like awesome car. And you're like, my life would be so good if I drove that. People would like me better if I was in that car. Woohoo! No, I, and I think, I think cars and, and houses are kind of the same way where, where we do things. We actually rationalize things so that we can put these into our life because we want it. We, it's really this, but we're, we're making some kind of a ra- rationalization. Like, man, if I had that car, my whole family could ride in it with me. Ooh, and they'd be so safe. I need that. Or, or oh man, we'd be saving so much money on gas if we drove that car. Of course, that's only after we pay down the enormous loan payment that we, you know, had to take out in order to get it. Looking at houses, like wow, if I just had one more bedroom. In my case, if I just had one more bathroom, then people wouldn't walk in on me. 
oh, I'd love it. If my kids were in a different school district and I lived over there instead of over here, they would have better opportunities. They'd have better friends. It would be so much better, but it costs so much money, but it's okay. It's worth it. That's what we've got to do. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna leverage the money that we have in order to have that because what we have right now isn't good enough. Right? Isn't, isn't that what we do? We take pleasure in stuff. And we, we allow it to change the way that we live. Now, I, would, I do want to be careful in saying this. And I'm not saying that stuff is bad or having stuff is bad. That, that's not what I mean. We can enjoy it. We can enjoy the things of the world. But when they change who we are as followers of God and how we live, that's when it becomes idol worship. All right, let's move into pride of life. Pride of life is, uh, it's, it's, it's looking at what you've accomplished and puffing up your chest about what you've done. And, and, and I'm not saying that being proud about your accomplish, accomplishments is bad. It's this other piece. It's this other piece that's, that's really problematic. It's when we take those things that we've done and we find security in them rather than security in God. You know what I mean? Like when, when we boast about what we have and we fail to understand that we have those things because God gives them to us, because he, he blesses us with them. What we, what we fail to understand is who is ultimately in control. And I, I've, got, um, I've got a couple of people in my life uh, that I've worked with that I think really kind of demonstrate the, the two sides of this. And I worked with one gentleman. He's a very successful leader. He created basically something out of nothing, and it became this movement. And we were, we were talking about it at one point, and he said, you know, the, the, the stuff that we do here, this, this, this stuff, we have to be able to hold on to it loosely because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can't derive our security from how well this whole thing is happening we need to make sure that our security is really in God and not in this, our accomplishments. I was really impressed by that because it, it did change a lot of the way that I, I looked at what I was doing and how I was working in that organization. I worked, I worked for another guy who, who really was the opposite, another very successful leader. You don't know this person. Uh, he doesn't uh, live in Ohio. He's not from Ohio. If you happen to know him, I'm not going to say his name, but if you happen to know him, uh, it, it would be, wow, like crazy. Um, go buy a lottery ticket today because that's how it would be really random. Um, anyway, uh, he, he was the kind of guy that at every moment that he could, he re- would remind you what he had done to turn around the organization that we were working with. He would say, you know, we're only here today because of what I did, how I made these decisions. And all the people that worked around him, they felt really small. Felt like they were useless in this organization. And, and the thing that was most telling to me, both of these people experienced sort of catastrophic events. And the one that, uh, that told me about holding things loosely within it, he was the one who survived better. He was the one that came out of it on the other side and, and knowing, well, God, God's got everything in control. It's okay. We're, we're going to make it. We can, we can come out of this. Meanwhile, the other one, it, was, it almost destroyed his life. 
because he felt like, I, anyway, pride of life. It's, it's one of these things that when we, when we put our security in our accomplishments, when we put our security in, in what we've done and then something goes wrong and it's hard to climb out of that pit, but when we trust in God, so John takes this one step deep, deeper, and, and I want to I want to show you how um, John is deeply interested in what we hold above God. And so, if you flip with me all the way to the end of his letter in First John, to the fifth chapter, we see something really interesting. Um, so I I like I like movies that have plot twists in them. Like I, I I really do. Anybody else out there like plot twists are fun? That's exciting. Whoa, you caught me off guard. That was great. First time I watched The Sixth Sense from M Night Shyamalan. I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. I see dead people. Wow. You know, and uh, it was great. It felt really good. Well, John in this letter is kind of doing the same thing all the way up through through this letter. He is um, he's kind of uh, establishing these these thoughts, you know, that that, you know, we we love others. This, you know, how we love one another demonstrates that we're loved by God or that we are with God and how much God loves us and walking in lightness and dark and all this kind of stuff. You think all the way up to the end, this is what it's all been about. And then the very last line of the letter, this is how he ends it. He says in first John five twenty one, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. As if to say, now go back through the entire letter that I've just written and see how this applies to all of that. This is his benediction, his encouragement, his prayer for the people of his church. This is how he ends it. Keep yourselves from idols. The idolatry is when we love something more than God, when we depend on something more than God, when we obey something more than God. Can, can you have those things in your life? Can you enjoy those things in your life? Can you experience? Yes, yes, of course you can. But when you put those things above God in your life, they become bad. That's when they become bad. So I've got a couple questions that I, I want to, um, for you to ponder. Some things that, that I think that when we, when we answer these and we think about them for ourselves, they help indicate uh, a place where there, we may have idols in our lives. So I'm just going to rattle these off, and, and um, I just want you to think about them. What do, you, what do you fantasize about the most in your life? What are you terrified of losing? What's that one thing in your life, if it wasn't there, you feel like life wouldn't be worth living? If you're answering, like, you know, I'm thinking about my children, my family, my spouse, my job, all that kind of stuff. Like, these are things, and and remember, this is just an indication of where you may have some kind of um, disparity between where God is in your life and and where something else is. And, and, And this isn't, this doesn't mean because you have this disparity, you're not a Christian. We're going to talk about what to do in the midst of this in a minute. There's nothing wrong about loving things, but just helping us to get to a point where where we're keeping things in the right order. So another way another way to think about this, what what do you trust the most? What's the one thing that you need to feel secure about the future? 
Is it your 401k? What if that got drained tomorrow? Maybe it's your investment in Bitcoin. <laughs> That's going down, folks. Uh, uh, just whatever. Another way, another way to think about it. Um, what commands your obedience? What temptations are you unable to say no to? Right? Is it, is it working so hard that you can move up the company ladder so you can get into that position that you just feel really secure about? Or have more money in the bank? Is it, is it uh, the snacks that you eat? Ice cream. Maybe, maybe it's you know, smoking or uh, drinking or something that, that, man, if it wasn't there, you just couldn't feel like yourself. Like you can't make it through the day without those things. See, at the end of the day, we're, we're all worshipers. We all worship something or some things. The question that we have to begin to ask ourselves is not, um, you know, like, like if we are worshipers, but rather what are we worshiping and, and where are they in our lives? And John's aim throughout this text is to warn us about becoming worshipers of things that are not worthy of our worship. See, idol worship is real. But what we're actually doing when we worship something other than God is to say that I'm doing it on my own, which is really rebellion against God. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about, like, what, what I love about this is that John never once says that this is, if you have other things on the throne where God belongs, then, then you're done. You're, you know, you're going to hell. It just, ugh. Like your, your life is over. He doesn't ever say that. In fact, if we flip back to First uh, John chapter 1, he reminds us that we have this opportunity. He says, he says um, uh, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, the sins of idolatry, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have an opportunity to reorient the things in our life. We have an opportunity to put God back on the throne in our life. And I want to say this. If you're at least even, even, and there's a part of you, just a small part of you that's worried about it, that's worried about, man, I don't know if I'm, if I'm really a child of God or I don't know if God loves me. If you're worried, if you're thinking about that, that's, that's actually a good place to be because you're worried about God loving you. It's a movement closer to him. And what John tells us and what Jesus tells us is don't worry about it. I do love you. This table that we have set up here, this communion table, is a, is a perfect statement about this. The, the bread and the juice, they represent, represent the, the body and blood of Christ. The life that Jesus gave for us so that we could be brought into relationship with God. And, and he says, I will forgive you of those sins. All you have to do is confess them, repent of them, turn away from them, and turn towards me. Those idols, those places in your life where you see that God is not number one, confess it. If you were answering those questions that I was um, saying earlier and you see, wow, maybe this is, there is a problem here. Confess it. 
And I want to encourage you in a moment when you come up for communion to confess that and invite God into that place. That he might change your heart and your mind to desire him more than you desire that other thing. Invite him to make that transformation because we can't do it on our own. But the Holy Spirit, the power of God that's inside of us can make that transformation. So I'm going to invite you to come. Confess those sins. Invite Jesus into that moment and turn to God instead of those things. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a good, good Father. That you love us, that you accept us, even in our brokenness and our sin. And we stand before you exposed. We're thankful that you take our sin from us. You forgive us of our sin, Lord. May we be desiring you more than anything else. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for the forgiveness that you give to us. We thank you that we can receive that gift that merciful gift. May we desire it more than anything else. Come, Holy Spirit, do a work of transformation in our hearts. Turn our thoughts to you so that we can be made into the likeness of Christ. So come, we pray, as we approach your throne. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.